Hello and welcome to Try This at Home, where we are dedicated to helping you make every day better. We are Leslie Sleesman and Leslie Kantner, individually dedicated to improving day-to-day life and coming together to share our secrets. Today, we're talking about the power of thoughts and our attachment to them. Grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and listen in. When your day goes south or your relationship gets salty, You need tools that will turn it around. With decades of experience and a variety of perspectives between them, Leslie Sleesman and Leslin Kantner bring you tips and tricks for solving problems, increasing happiness, and creating your best life. Together, they're sharing ideas you can take home and try. Each week, their discussion will zero in on one idea, one technique, or one activity that has the potential to make your life a little better. And now, here is Leslie and Leslin with Try This at Home. Hi, Leslin. Hi, Les. How are you today? Good. I am excited about this topic. Yes, me too. I feel like we could go on and on and on and on about thoughts. For days, actually. You know, when I was um, getting the outline ready, I googled simply three words, the power of thoughts, and 800 million results came up. So this is not a small topic. We're not going to be able to be terribly thorough about every position. Yeah, I'm sure we'll circle back and talk about thoughts in another capacity in another episode. Well, they actually do uh, affect most of our life. Indeed, we have tw- twelve to 60,000 thoughts every day. That seems like a ton of thinking. How do you think they calculated that? Do you think there was someone walking around with the clipboard making little hash marks? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I what would 60,000 hash marks look like? Uh, I can't help but wonder that, actually. And what's really interesting to me is that... Scientists are reporting that 90% of those thoughts are negative. That is a shocking statistic, although probably I do that too and don't even realize it. Well, and you know, as a therapist, obviously, I ask a lot of people about their thoughts. And in particular, as a cognitive-oriented therapist, cognition is all about your thoughts and taking a look at how your thoughts form I really enjoy listening to Tony Robbins from time to time when I need a little pep talk. Yeah. And he has a really good way of explaining that our thoughts come from this place of fear. And that kind of makes sense if 90% of our thoughts are negative. Tony Robbins explains that our brains are literally hardwired to look for what's wrong. That... Our brain has not evolved as quickly as our living conditions or our living environments. Whereas we're still very oriented to the the same mental processes as our ancestor, you know, millions of years ago that was on the African savannah. If he's out hunting and sees a large gray blob out in the distance, he needs to consider whether whether or not that's just an outcrop of rocks or whether that's a big herd of elephants that are endangering his life. 
if he makes a mistake because he's not afraid, his life definitely is in danger. So I think that we're still very much in that mindset of looking for what's wrong all the time. I absolutely do that constantly. It's nice to know, though, that it's hardwired and it's not just because I'm being a negative Nelly. <laughs> so, yes, that's true. But at the end of the day, our quality of life is going to be greatly enhanced if we can maybe help evolution out a little bit and retrain right. the way that we think about things, right? Because also, I mean, if you have a choice, you want to be more positive. No one wants to just go around thinking about negative things all the time. Yeah, of course. I mean... What happens to your mood if you spend the next couple of minutes going, oh, there's so much dust in this room. Oh, man, I'm tired. Oh, I never go anywhere fun. Right. Or, you know, and and if the list goes on and on, you're going to feel, you're going to start feeling really blah. Or trapped, like you can't, you know, what's the point? Yeah. I can't get all this done. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or you could say, you could change that around and really learn to be pay attention to those thoughts and turn them around and say, oh man, I think maybe a nap would give me a lot more energy. Or you could say, that dust isn't going anywhere. I think I can make that wait till tomorrow. Anything that shifts the negative to a positive. Right. So one of the inspirations for this uh, to me at least was is based on a story that I heard on the podcast Invisibilia several years ago Um, it was about a man named Martin Pistorius and I was astounded when I heard this man's story he was um, diagnosed with cryptococcal meningitis when he was a boy And over a period of time, he lost his ability to move or talk. Parents essentially expected him, or the doctors expected him to die and told the parents to just take him home and care for his body until it gave out. My gosh. How tragic, right? And so he became comatose and his body survived year after year after year. Now, what was really amazing is that about four years after he went into the original coma, he woke up. But he, I know, he only woke up in his own mind. He couldn't move. He couldn't speak. And so he was awake, but he was the only one who knew it. That's so scary. And that's exactly what he describes. He he did write a book about his experience for anybody who's listening and is interested. The name of his book is Ghost Boy, My Escape from a Life Locked Inside My Own Body. Yeah, that is terrifying. When I ask clients to learn how to meditate so that they can relax and, and de-stress, most of the time I hear, but I can't sit still that long. And I will often tell the story of Martin because he had no No choice. choice. Yes, he had no choice but to understand or to learn how to cope with existing with his thoughts. And only his thoughts. And only his thoughts. Right. Yes. Um, He describes in um, an interview from that podcast, he describes being able to see his parents walk across the room as if he wasn't there. And certainly as a mother, 
I was heartbroken hearing this story because I, I certainly would want to take care of my children, but I think over time that burden would be so cumbersome right. that I, I, I just can't even imagine. And it's ha- only one way. Exactly. So you're not getting anything in return, you know, yeah. from your child. And I mean, think about it for a minute. As a mom, you're you're literally walking through the room in total disregard, really. If you let's say you were in there and you bathed the patient or your child, you bathed them and you know that they're comfortable and they have fresh sheets, but now you're just walking back and forth through the room doing your daily thing. And this is four and five years later. Right. It kind of is like reminds me when you're in a restaurant and you want your waitress to come over and you see her walking around, but she will never make eye contact with you for you to like signal, you know, hey, we're over here. We need some attention. I imagine it kind of like that. Like there's just this person that's walking around completely ignoring you because. Well, because they don't know. They don't know that you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that sentence. Actually, that's the key. She didn't know he was there. Right. And so. All of the emotion and all of the thoughts that went into this experience of not being able to let anybody know you were there. And and then the thoughts that go with them, like the fear of being trapped, the feeling of being trapped, right? the anxiety, the, I would think, the sheer panic of being trapped. Yeah. In, be very depressing, you'd think. I mm. imagine it would be. And so... In in Martin's book, he talks about how he learned eventually to detach from all of these thoughts and to just see them as something that existed because it, the emotional attachment he understood was what was generating the fear and the anxiety. The thoughts themselves were just there. Right. And that's something that Deepak Chopper talks a lot about, about a thought is just a thought until we give the thought meaning. Or power over us. Or power. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's another story that I think just demonstrates this really, really well. So do you like dogs? I like dogs, but I'm allergic to dogs. You're allergic to dogs. But you like dogs. If you saw one coming towards you, would you be afraid? No, not generally. Okay. No. Now, my brother was bit by a dog when he was young. Mm-hmm. My brother, to this day, has a fear of dogs. Sure. So let's say you and my brother were walking through a park, and you saw um, someone coming at you uh-huh. um, who was walking their dog. Yeah. You might say, oh, look, there's a really pretty dog. I right. want to pet that dog. My brother would say, let's go the other way. Right. And what's interesting is you both have a thought about this dog. But they're very, very different. Very different. Yeah. They come from very different places. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them is wrong. It, it's still just a dog, right? The sure. only thing that gives those thoughts power is your experience of the thing that you're thinking about. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting about our thoughts is they only have power if we have experiences of them. Right. That we're emotionally connected to. Okay. Explain. 
Okay. So, again, I'll tell a story. Okay. I like telling stories. Yeah. I love these examples. This is great. Well, I think it brings it, it helps you think about it from a real life perspective. Sure. So, last June, I was standing in line in the security line at the Barcelona airport. And there were two men in front of me, and one was visibly shaken. Uh, and they were talking about the flight back to Newark, New Jersey, and the volcano that was erupting in Hawaii. Okay, yep. And one gentleman was trying to explain how hesitant he was to get on the airplane because he had heard that the lava was shooting 35,000 feet in the air. And he was fearful that the pilot would have difficulty um, with that being in the sky and the plane. Like getting around it, maneuvering around the lava. Or through it, or I'm not exactly sure where his head was, but he was visibly shaking He was that anxious about it. And his voice was really stressed. And so what I understood is that he thought that the, first of all, that the lava was shooting 35,000 feet in the air. And secondly, that we would be um, engaged with it somehow when we were in air. Okay, so he thinks that the lava is going to go like approximately seven miles into the air. Well, he, that's that was my that understanding was okay. of what he was saying. He 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 said, and this is a verbatim memory, right? Um, I heard lava was shooting thirty five thousand feet. How is the pilot going to manage that? And I I think now would probably be a good time to point out that you were flying from Spain to New Jersey, so you wouldn't actually be going anywhere near Hawaii, if my geography is correct. Yep, that's that's accurate. Okay. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm, I'm using this example, certainly not to criticize or belittle anyone, but to make a very clear illustration that our thoughts don't have to even be accurate to impact emotion or to drive emotions or yeah Yeah. fear yeah it's it's not logical but it they don't have to be logical right right like me being afraid of a garter snake right he's probably not gonna eat me no (laughs) (laughs) or wrap himself around my neck they're only about eight inches long right yeah. yeah so our you know that's and that's the funny thing about thoughts when we have an emotional attachment Mm-hmm. to our thoughts they impact and drive the majority of our behavior and that certainly illustrates what you were saying earlier about safety like he was clearly concerned for his safety yes so that probably that evoked emotion. that you know innate fear in him yes and the emotional connection right he was worried about his surviving so exactly it was yeah. It was that he went to the worst place he could go there um, instead of sitting back, right? kind of stepping away from the emotion and taking a look at each one of those pieces individually. Right. Um, now, Martin Pistorius said he simply detached. He's, he saw these thoughts and he 
removed himself from any emotional attachment. It simply was this thing. So maybe using this example, had the gentleman employed Martin's theory, he might have said, oh, there's lava 30,000 feet in the air and not felt anything. doesn't matter if it's, if right. it's legitimate. Now, I probably would say, what's the probability of that? Yes. <laughs> Is that even a fact, right? We know there's ash that can go that high. Right. But right. the lava is probably not shooting that high. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a big believer in working on possibilities and probabilities, especially when it comes to fear and anxiety. Yeah. Ask yourself, what is the probability mm-hmm. that this thing is going to happen? I often worry when my husband flies. I'm not a fearful flyer myself, but I am when my husband is gone. And I do something very similar. Um, I think about all the times that he's flown for business in the past and how each time I had the same exact fear reaction and worry and these thoughts were invading my head and how every single time he came back completely fine. Yeah. Yeah. Every single time. Every time. I come from the era when flight schedules were actually printed in booklets that they kept in the seat pockets. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that happened. (laughs) Oh, Leslie. Uh. (laughs) Oh, yes. And so now we're demonstrating on our very first podcast the distinct age difference here and the perspectives. But it is true that back in the day... There were booklets that they had in the seat pockets of airplanes that had the time schedules for every flight of that airline out of every city. That's a lot. It was a lot. Now, they were little tiny, you know, they were pretty thin books with very small writing. And, um, but I would, when I flew, I would hold that book in my hand and slowly turn the page while I said, all of these flights take off from all of these airports right. all over the world every single day. None of them have crashed lately. You're going to be okay, Leslin. Right. And that would calm me down because it it generated um, realistic expectations, which is another thing we can do with our thoughts. Yeah. Okay, so what you're saying is that if we're in a situation like this where we're having these thoughts that we don't necessarily want, we should not only look at the possibility of them happening, but also look at the probability as well. I would say focus on the probability because isn't anything possible? Yeah. Yeah. And instead of looking at it through an emotional lens or just seeing the emotion of it, try to step back and look at it from a more logical, detached place. Exactly. Okay, but I have a question. Sure. So when I think about someone being detached, I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. I think of that as as being more negative. So that's actually a great question. I think that when we are emotionally detached from people, it can feel um, like we're disconnected from the person. I'm not asking anybody to disconnect from people. What I am suggesting is that we detach from the thought. So let's say that I, uh, you know what, Brene Brown, in Mm -hmm. one of her TED Talks, she mentions that she realized that she wasn't the only one who imagined driving into a tree. 
And I had to giggle because there's been a number of times when I've actually wondered what would it be like to drive into that tree. I have thought about that myself. See? <laughs> That's so random that everyone thinks that. I had no idea that I was the only one. Exactly. But what if I be what if I attached to that thought? What if I became kind of obsessed to that Focused about that it. thought? Yes, hyper focused. Mm-hmm. And it became the central part of behave of my behavior. Right. You know, when I when I when that thought runs through my mind, it literally is like it's on a locomotive running past me and I, I see it, I know it's there and it's I have no attachment to it. Right. It's just a thought. It's gone so, as soon as it, yes, it comes. Some yeah. stupid random thought that is you know, I think to myself, I wonder if someone's looking in my window at night because I don't have a lot of curtains in my house. <laughs> and then I'm like, eh, some show, <laughs> you know, and I just go on about my night, my right. nightly business. <laughs> right. But I could just as easily go, oh my gosh, what if there's somebody walking or lurking in my window right. at night? And I could be hyper-focused yeah. on this thought that has no value. Yeah, that could control your night. You could become obsessed with checking and double-checking and triple-checking to make sure Precisely. that nobody's there. Yeah, And so detaching from the thought, from that thought that has no value or the thing that has no value, seeing it as just some random thing up there. Right. Um, now, keep in mind, if you're thinking 60,000 thoughts a day, mm-hmm. I'm suggesting you detach from... And 90% of them are negative. I'm suggesting you detach from a huge proportion of those, but probably not all of them. And some negative right. thoughts we really do have to sit back and focus on. Sure. If I'm not doing well at work, I need to pay attention to that and learn some way to cope with that or fix that problem. Yeah. Or you you could lose your job. I, I mean, could, that's a right. real possibility and probably could happen if you're doing terribly at work. Yes, you know, but the negative, those, so let's say I get a good performance review at work, but I walk out of there and go, oh, I'm never going to be able to have that again. That was a fluke. If I attach myself emotions to that thought, right, then my behavior eventually becomes driven by that thought. And so that's, I think that try this at home tidbit for this week is to develop an awareness of your thoughts and learn how to detach, make a conscious effort to detach and dismiss the ones that aren't serving you. And that's that. Thank you so much for being here and listening to our very first podcast of Try This at Home. Make sure to visit our website, trythisathomepodcast.com, where you can connect with us on social media. You can also find us on iTunes, and we would be ever so grateful for a review there. So until next time, this is Leslin and Leslie, hoping you have a great day. All perspectives and opinions expressed during this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. There is no direct or indirect intention to provide psychotherapy or mental health services. If you are seeking counsel for individual circumstances, please consult with a local health professional.